Welcome to Families for Life, a podcast of Oak Hill Baptist Church. On today's episode, we're starting a new series on discipleship. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome, everyone, from far and wide, all of you that are listening today, whether it's when this episode comes out or into the future. We're glad that you're here with us today. It is a solo episode. I'll be completely honest. The um, frequency of episodes has changed a little bit since I've lost my partner. I was called to senior pastor position in Texas, Brian Van Doren. I miss him greatly. I also miss his presence on the podcast. And he um, <clears throat> helped carry some of the, the workload. And with the busyness of the season, April was a very busy month and um, have some projects I'm catching up on in May that the episodes may not be weekly. They may be, you may get a couple every week and then there may be a little bit of a break, a little more infrequent, but we have two years uh, of back episodes, actually almost three years of back episodes now. We've been doing this for almost three years now. And you can catch up, go back and listen to old series and see <clears throat> what you missed. But I am starting a new series that I'm very excited about, and it's on discipleship. We've talked about discipleship, and a lot of the things have revolved around discipleship, especially when we talk about discipling our children and the role of parents in raising your children. Uh, but one of the things I've learned recently, well, I don't know that I've learned it recently, but maybe rediscovered or been in, been more impressed upon me, is many adults have themselves not been discipled or not had a process of discipleship. Normally, <clears throat> in churches, the process of discipleship looks like, hey, you come to church, you um, join a life group, you um, get serving somewhere, we encourage you to give, we encourage you to go on mission, you know, those types of things. And a lot of times we think that if we plug people into all of these different, you know, things, that out a disciple will be made just by going to church or being a part of a life group. There was a, this is many years now, but there was a groundbreaking study done at um, a church in Chicago, Bill Heibel's uh, old church, and they found that they were no better at making disciples because they were encouraging people to do these things. You know, this goes back to the the purpose-driven model and all these things where ultimately we're trying to put people into these various attendance-driven type programs, just show up and you'll become a disciple. I don't think that's how discipleship works. I think we've learned that discipleship is not a formula. It's not a process we can just input. It's not like a manufacturing process where you put all the raw materials into one side, you put them through a process, and out pops a product that you're trying to create. That's not discipleship. And uh, I think that's why discipleship is hard. Um, you know, let's let's clarify that term. First of all, discipleship is the process of being made like Christ, growing in our faith. We can even call it the process of sanctification. 
of uh, being made holy or being set apart. That is the process of sanctification. It's the part of our salvation that is the the longest uh, part of it. You know, when we become a believer, we are justified, we are redeemed. All of that process is begun. We know the end result is when we will be glorified, we'll be with the Lord in heaven, in the new earth, new heaven, new earth. Uh, that process will be completed. But there is a process of sanctification. That's the, the ongoing salvific uh, of saving grace, saving knowledge of Jesus in our lives. <clears throat> and we don't ascribe to a perfectionist type model. We know that we're not going to reach perfection in this life, in this world of flesh, in this world of sin, this fallen world. However, we are called to strive for holiness. We are called to submit our will to the Lord and continue in that battle against sin, be continuing to become more and more like Christ. Most people are not formally discipled. They are, if they, if they do become a disciple or a Christian that is stri- that is striving for holiness, striving to put off sin and resist temptation, it is merely sort of a product of God working in their heart apart from any sort of formal discipleship. That's at least my view and my opinion. Uh, many adults that I talk to have not ever been in any sort of formal discipleship. When I say formal, I, I mean a people sitting down together, meeting together on a regular, semi-regular basis for the purpose of learning and growing and building that discipleship relationship. We think about Jesus and how he pulled the 12 disciples in really close. There were other people in the periphery. You know, we know that there were other disciples, other people following Jesus. It wasn't just the 12, but he pulled the 12 in really close and he invested in those. And of those 12, there were even three that he invested in really, really, and took them and showed them even further the works that he was able to do, the transfiguration and the, the bringing people back to dead, back, back to life from the dead. Those types of things um, were um, reserved for those, those, those three individuals, <clears throat> Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus gives us this example that discipleship is not a a programmic programmic is that a word a program driven uh thing it is a relationship driven thing and you know even in my own life i've seen this be a reality programs are good and they they have their place and we need them because they do spur us on and encourage us and they there's a purpose for uh the things that we do in church but they cannot take the place of the relationships that need to be built, the intentional <clears throat> discipleship relationships. So as we go along in this series, we're going to unpack and discover what it means to be a disciple. In fact, this, I'm going to encourage you, this is going to be like if we were meeting for discipleship. You, you know, it's not the perfect scenario, because the perfect scenario is you, you're sitting down with someone or a small group of people and you're working through scripture, you're working through a resource that's helping you to focus your thoughts and focus your discussion. But in lieu of that, 
uh, I'm going to hopefully provide some direction and some encouragement. And if you listen to this series and you take it seriously, then you can use this in your own discipleship. And then hopefully the goal is that you will disciple others. The goal of all discipleship, of all uh, really Christianity, is to multiply, to make other disciples. This was Jesus's last <clears throat> instruction to us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, go therefore and make disciples. He wanted us to go and make other disciples of Christ. He invested in this group of people. Now he wanted them to go and do likewise, do the same. <clears throat> he says to, to baptize them, to teach them uh, the ways of of, of Jesus. And in this way, Jesus is continuing on. His presence is with us as we continue to make disciples. And so this is our calling as Christians. We cannot say, I am a Christian and I refuse to do discipleship. I refuse to uh, follow the Lord's commands because our I guess we could say that, but the point is, is that we need to be continually submitting our will to what Jesus wants for our lives. And what he wants is for us to make disciples. So one of the resources I found super helpful has been a series by Robbie Gallaty. Growing Up is the first book. If you want to get this book, you can. You can use this as the resource as we go through this first series. And it's growing up how to be a disciple who makes disciples. One of the things that Gallaty wrote as a part of his dissertation and then turned it into a book was rediscovering discipleship. And there's lots of great resources out there. I've been to a conference that is a part of his Replicate Ministries where he's trying to equip and encourage churches to do to make disciples. And the process is is very simple. There are uh, programmatic things that are a part of it, but it is all based in relationship. Part of the um, the system, and this is not a new system. This is an old system. That's why I think that's why he calls it rediscovering discipleship. <clears throat> There's a idea that we need to get together in large group corporate worship. We need to have these these times where we are the assembled body of believers. This is super important for us, not just to have something to do, but to come together and see the saints joining together in song, in word, in prayer, hearing the word, hearing, having a shared experience of preaching. That's super important for believers. So we need to have that in our lives. We also need to have a smaller group. Um, I think Gallaty calls them cell groups. We, you know, many churches call them life groups, small groups, you know, whatever. Those are so important that we take time to have those groups and they can range from, you know, 10 to 20. Some are maybe even a little larger than that. I think they get a little bit harder to have those, those intentional relationships when they get too big. But these groups are a group of people that are attempting to do life together as it's been said. They are studying God's word. They are encouraging each other. They are um, they are building relationship friendships together. And so this is a group of people that are doing those types of things out of the corporate worship. It gets into a smaller group, which is that life group, that cell group. And then from there, it can be get even further into what they call D groups or discipleship groups. 
And these are small intentional groups that are no more than five normally, and they are gender um, exclusive in the sense of like men meet with men, women meet with women. And this is for the purpose because, well, the Bible tells older women should train younger women, older men train men. You know, we, we raise each other up in the faith, but also the nature of what we're talking about in those groups, and we'll get more into that as we go along, uh, can be sensitive sometimes. And so we need women to meet with women and we need men to meet with men. That's just wise and good and smart. The struggles that we face will be somewhat unique to the genders. And so we need to, uh, I think that's an important aspect in those D groups. But the reason that they're small is for that intimacy, uh, that, that, that part of intimacy where you are able to share and you are able to hold each other accountable and you are able to ask the tough questions. Um, there's really no purpose if you're not going to do those types of things, if you're not going to um, really dig into each other's lives, you know, in an appropriate way, in a relationship-driven, Christ-like way. And we can talk more about what that means as we go along. But in the first part of the book, growing up, Robbie Gallaty shares his testimony. I think that's super important that we know where our faith has was begun and the road that we've traveled. We need to revisit our testimonies quite often because... Uh, <clears throat> It's easy, the, 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 more, the longer you've become a Christian, the longer you've been a believer, it can get very easy to forget where you came from, to forget that we are all sinners saved by grace, and uh, we, just, we, can, we can think that we are now living our faith on our own, and we can be filled with religious pride or self-righteousness if we don't remember where we came from. So I think that's super important. In my own life, you know, I grew up out of a, a broken home. I had great parents, but, you know, the inner struggle of my life was a sense of looking for belonging, looking for uh, a place, and I think there was a lot of spiritual things going on in my life, and I turned to um, a road that Many teenagers go down looking for belonging, looking for a group of people that will accept you, and it led me to a, a dark path. Led me to, I think I've shared openly in my testimony before. It led me to um, a lot of rebellion, a lot of disobedience, a lot of just just heading down the wrong path of uh, of life. Uh, I did have a, a friend who went to church, and he would invite me to church quite often, and I would go occasionally just to kind of get him off my back, but he really never gave up on me, and I'm so thankful that he didn't because um, he invited me to a Christian play, and these things, I found out recently these things still go on, these evangelistic plays called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, and they travel around to churches, and they use the people in the churches to put on these um these plays and in the play is a lot of scenarios about um, people. It's it's situations, it's scenes of people in their life, and based on whether they know Christ or not, they will go to heaven or go to hell. And you know, people have criticized this by saying it's a lot of um, it's a lot of fear based evangelism. I will say that. Uh, that does have a its place. I don't think we always need to emphasize 
you know, turn and burn um, type, turn or burn type preaching. But I do think that we do lose something when we don't talk about the reality that people are destined for hell. Um, that is, we have lost something because I will say that helped me to realize my need for Jesus. It wasn't a fear that I was going to hell. It was a fear of, of hopelessness, that I had no hope other than turning to Jesus. That's what I realized when I saw that play. There was a, a particular scene that I've always remembered. A mother is picking up her daughter from church, and her, her daughter is recounting uh, her experience. I think they went to like a, she went to like a vacation Bible school or something, and how she was saved. She gave her life to Jesus at the vacation Bible school. And on their way home, she they got in a car accident in the play, and they both died in this car accident. The mom was taken off to hell, and Jesus took the little girl to heaven. And uh, it was it was very uh, hard to watch, but the reality from that truth, I mean, that's that's true. That's what the Bible says, that it doesn't matter how good of a, you know, in my mind, moms were really great people, you know, and it doesn't matter how good of a mom you were, how loving you were to your children, or how, how good of a person you even, you thought you were. That was part of the play as well, is this person is a good person, but they did not know Jesus. They did not uh, have their greatest need, the need of sin, dealt with through the gospel, and so they they went to hell, and it was very it was very terrifying and scary, but in that play, I realized that I had no hope, that my life was far from perfect, and I had been walking down a very uh, dark road, really, really running away from God. I remember actively trying to, um, you know, just get God out of my life and, and run away from him. Finally, that night, I submitted. I said, Lord, I need you to save me. And I became a believer that night. And over the next um, year, really, yeah, over the next year, that was my sophomore year that I became a believer, the end of my sophomore year. My junior year, uh, I did still struggle. It was a struggle of, of the will. Am I going to, am I going to, um, you know, push into my newfound faith? Or am I going to back off and, and backslide into the way that I was? And so I, God really did a work in my life. I became, started becoming active in my church and through the, the ministry, the youth ministry there and, and my parents pushing into me. I um, decided, hey, I want to be a, what, what we used to call it back in the day, a sold out believer, meaning that you were completely all in for the Lord. There was no room for the world, no room for Satan, and you were all in striving to uh, really push into your sanctification. I didn't know that at the time, but that's basically what it was. And so there was a big influence of uh, my parents. I remember having a devotional book that I read set through several times. I think it was called Youth Walk, and I, I think they make these still. I don't remember but I had this one youth walk devotional, and I loved it because it, it really helped me to get into Scripture. And through that, I really gained a love for Scripture and began reading the Bible. Uh, I remember my youth pastor, we had different things going on at church. You know, of course, we had Sunday school, and we had uh, student worship and things like that. 
But we also had, um, I was a part of a, a, a choir, surprising enough to people. I was part of a youth choir. And anyone can blend into a choir. You know, anyone can 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 blend in, even if they don't sing very well. But I um, remember that part of that was a, was the discipleship curriculum, and I was able to do some discipleship components through that and was led into, I can't remember the exact series that we did, but uh, through that I was able to, to do that. And I was um, eventually, during my senior year, felt a call to ministry and walked into that walked into Bible college, was able to be an intern at my church. And part of that was now I was discipling some of the middle school students at the church. And so we would walk through material. And here's the secret about discipleship. When you disciple somebody, you learn and grow just as much as they do, maybe even more. And so I was learning and growing at the same time. So my youth pastor was a big influence in my life, helping me to grow, pushing me to do things, to, to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples. As I went to college, I ended up moving. Uh, my college changed, and I moved to another city. I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and I went to another church. And in that church, I had a college, I had a youth pastor, was also the college pastor, and I knew that I needed to continue to grow in my faith. And so that I went to that youth pastor and I said, hey, I, I really need help in my, in my growth. And so he said, hey, one of your friends, we're meeting together weekly. Let me ask him if he would mind if, if you came as well. So me and this other guy met with the youth pastor every week and we would try to, he would encourage us to memorize scripture. We would talk about what we were reading. He would hold us accountable, ask us tough questions. And it was just a, it was a really sweet time. I can't remember, it was maybe a year or so that we met together, and uh, I just, I'm so fond of uh, those memories and how he took time and, and invested and poured into a college student as I was trying to find my way into ministry. And others have, have helped me in my discipleship through the way, through inadvertent ways. Those are kind of the formal things, but there's also informal discipleship where you just, you, you see and you observe and you work alongside people uh, of course, my, my current pastor has been a big influence in my life. And, uh, you know, you just, you just, you know, that's sort of my road into discipleship, uh, part of my testimony, and then also how I have been impacted and affected to in discipleship. And so I've, I've been really challenged in my life to always be trying to strive to have someone that I'm working with discipling. And it could be a, a new believer. I've had people that have come to faith and I've walked with them through understanding what it means to follow Jesus. And or it could be somebody who's never been discipled. And that's, that's another part of it. I have um, helped people that, hey, say, I, I'm not growing like I should. I want to be a disciple. I want to grow. And so can you help me? And so the Lord has blessed me because I've just prayed and asked God, hey, Give me somebody, put someone in my path, put someone in my life or a group of people that I can uh, disciple and walk alongside. And so I think that's really important just to be open to it. But folks, we've got to understand and feel that discipleship is important. This is what Jesus did. This is what he did with most of his time. Yes, he preached, he taught, he healed. Uh, he did all of those things. But the majority of his time 
was pouring into his 12 disciples. And then those disciples in turn poured into other people. And this is how the church has continued on. Um, you know, this is, this is the desire that we should want to see in our lives. As we think about Jesus, there's a, a part in the book that says the master's master model. And it talks about how Jesus first ministered and the disciples saw him minister. Then he allowed the disciples to assist him in ministry. And then the disciples ministered and Jesus assisted them. And so he walked alongside them. And the final step was Jesus observing as the disciples ministered to others. This is kind of like uh, when I was uh, being trained, I worked at a bank uh, in college as well. And I was being trained and my trainer was like, listen, here's our process. I do and you watch. Okay, I'm going to wait on the customers. I'm going to do the work. You watch everything that I do. Then as we go along, I do and you assist. I'm going to do it. You you step in. I'm going to give you tasks to do. And then it moved quickly to you do and I assist. So I started waiting on the customers and he was there watching me helping me uh, in that process as well, assisting me. And then the final step, you do and I watch. So I would do the the task, waiting on the customers, doing all the, the things, things of the bank, and he would just watch. And he would correct or step in if he needed to. But this is a similar process of discipleship. As we go along, we're trying to encourage people, listen, I'm helping you to become a disciple, and then I'm going to release you to go and you make disciples. You're going to go and, and do the same thing that I'm doing. And I think that's important. From the beginning, we've got to build that into what we are trying to uh, teach people. Because, folks, it's all about multiplication. If we would take serious this task, we could multiply disciples at an alarming rate. It would be, it, it's, it's actually crazy. There's a chart in here in the book, if you look at it, and it says year one, if there's two disciplers and uh, D groups of four, so three D groups of four, and then as you go down, if they're after 16 years, okay, if they, if you follow that same path, just multiplying it, um, time, you know, doubling every year, then you get to uh, 65,000 disciplers in 16 years. Go from two to 65,000. Now, the math doesn't ever work out like that. But even if it's 30,000 disciples, I mean, even it's half of that. Isn't that crazy? I mean, multiplication should be our goal. We should seek to pour into others so that they can pour into others. And then those people can pour into others and we can be discipling over and over and over again. And I truly, I truly believe if we would take this, this act of discipleship seriously, we wouldn't have a problem with evangelism. People say, well, what about evangelism? Well, discipleship, a part of that is evangelism. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he's telling them to go and tell them the gospel, preach them, preach the gospel to them. And as they come to faith in Jesus, you are walking with them in this process of discipleship, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That's what Jesus said. That can't be done in one or two or even 12 meetings. It's an ongoing relationship. You're trying to teach them the word. You're trying to teach them the way of Jesus. I love this um, illustration in the book. He talks about two different trees, a, a banyan tree, 
which is one of the biggest trees. It's a massive, massive tree. He says here it develops a secondary secondary trunks to support its enormous branches. And when it's a fully grown, it can cover an entire acre. Can you imagine how big these trees are? It says they provide many shade, shade and shelter for many animals with its branches, but nothing grows under the dense foliage. The earth is barren under the banyan tree. Okay, so keep that in your mind. The uh, other tree that he mentions is... As, as sort of an opposing sort of illustration is the banana tree. It says within six months, six, uh, six months, small shoots sprout from the ground. Six months later, another set of sprouts shoot from the earth to join the others, which are now six months old. About 18 months, most bananas burst forth from the main trunk of the tree. Humans, birds, many other creatures benefit from its fruit before it dies. Every six months, the cycle is reproduced, with sprouts forming, fruit bearing, and shoots dying. The end result is a forest of banana trees. So as we you contrast these in sort of the, the, the attitude of discipleship, where many people sort of utilize this banyan style of leadership, where you're casting this huge, wide, Net, you're casting this huge wide thing and you're ignoring the relational aspect of what it is. So many Christians say, Hey, I'm going to go to X church. I attend worship. I go there. I sit under this pastor. I, I learn from his teaching. But you don't actually really go and reproduce and make other disciples. It's all just sitting and soaking and learning what you're learning and, and, whether you're putting it into practice or not, that's that's up to you, but you're not actually making disciples. What happens? I've seen it so many times in churches. They It's like they're putting their faith in that that leader instead of the the word of God into Christ. And they, when that leader leaves the church or, God forbid, something happens where it's a moral failure or something, um, their faith is shaken. They're rocked. And because their faith wasn't in God. It was in that leader. Here's the thing. I know it, it hurts when people leave. I've been there before. I know it hurts when people fail. I've been there before. But we've got to continue in our faith no matter because people are are not uh, ultimately going to, people are ultimately going to fail. They're not ultimately trustworthy like the Lord is. And so we can't put our faith in people. It's got to be in the Lord. And so if we are focused in a discipleship style, we're trying to reproduce and make disciples like the banana tree. We're trying to reproduce constantly. We're constantly pouring into our our, our relationships with others. We're constantly encouraging them to reproduce, encouraging them to, to uh, make disciples. Then it becomes more of a relationship style. And if we are gone, if we move on in our life, their faith is not put in us, it's put into the word. They have that foundation, they have that that built up, and then they are still enabled to go make disciples. They are still enabled to continue on and grow in their faith. So the question here is, what about you? What style of ministry have you embraced? Is your ministry a... Um, sort of a consuming ministry that's driving people just to show up and to be this this thing we talked about where we just put the pieces into the the thing, the programs, and, and we expect the disciple to come out the other end? Or are we actually really seeking to create disciples and specifically disciples that will make 
disciples. That's really the test of our of our ministry is to say, are people reproducing? Are they making other followers of Christ who are making other followers of Christ, other disciples? And that's where we have to find the 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 results of what we're doing. The results aren't in attendance. It's not in giving, but it's in how are we doing in our discipleship. And I think if we would change our focus, churches, Christians, if we would all keep our focus on this, on making disciples, then we would do a a, a much better job at fulfilling the Great Commission. This is uh, something that is hard and difficult. It's, you know, it's so much easier to say, here's the program, here's what I'm running, here's what I'm doing, here's the results, here's the metrics by which I can uh, judge everything by. Discipleship is not easy. Having a relationship-driven discipleship, encouraging people to become disciples who make disciples, it's messy. It's hard. Not everybody's going to want to do it. But here's the thing. If it was easy, then everybody would be doing it. Things that are difficult are rarely easy, but they are the only things that are truly rewarding. And so we've got to push into discipleship. We've got to push into what it means. So the question for you is, will you become a disciple who makes disciples? Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. One of the one of the encouragements is, as we move forward in this, I do want to push in on what you're reading in Scripture and what you're memorizing. One of the great resources that um, Robbie Gallaty has come out with is the F260 plan. Uh, you can find this plan in online. You can also find it in the Bible app. If you have the Bible app, you can type in F260. You can begin that Bible reading uh, plan. It is a it is a very good plan that gives us an overview of the Bible. And I'm going to challenge you this week, until we meet again, to memorize Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is a very familiar verse to us. We should know this one because we've been talking about this the whole time. This is what we've been saying about Jesus and about his, um, you know, about his last words for us. And it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I'm challenging you to memorize that verse, get into a regular Bible reading plan. Uh, you know, if you if you do it five or days a week. That's pretty good. If you stay, if you stick with it, give yourself a day or two to be off your schedule. If something happens, that's okay. If, if you, if you mess up and you sleep in one day or you get too busy and you, you forget, get back on it the next day. Just because you miss a day, the whole plan is not over. So I'm challenging you to really get into your relationship with the Lord. Pray about who you can begin to disciple. Who is God putting in your life? that you can reach out to, that you can maybe uh, share the gospel with. Or maybe there's someone in your life that has not been discipled that you need to pour into. Pray to God and ask him to deliver those people to you. Well, I really appreciate you listening to this episode. And if you ever have any feedback, you can send it to me at the email f4l at oakhillbc.org. And I'd love to hear from you. And I'm just so thankful that you took time to listen. I'll see you next time.